Well, today we are celebrating a milestone in Brian's life. Brian has completed seminary. He has completed numerous internships, one of which was at our church. He has passed his licensure exams, his ordination exams, and he's ready to be a pastor, to care for God's people, and to serve in these ways. It's also a milestone for our church. Uh, We have never had an associate pastor before. Some people would argue we've never had a pastor before. God has given us growth as a body, as a congregation, and he's brought Brian uh, to us, both as an intern and then as an assistant and now as an associate. Uh, But this is a step of faith for us as a church. It's an exciting time. It's something new and different. Uh, It's a, this is the, a day of joy and excitement, but it's also a solemn occasion. And that's not surprising. Uh, Life's most joyous occasions are also life's most weighty occasions. And what Brian is committing himself to today is serious. Uh, Some of God's most stinging rebukes in Scripture are reserved for leaders who abuse their roles. What Brian is committing himself to today is wonderful and it is terrifying. And we as a church are committing ourselves to care for Brian and Laura and Ames and the 20 children to follow. (laughs) We are committing to submit to Brian's oversight and leadership. Uh, This is good. It's wonderful. It's a cause for joy, and it should not be taken lightly. Uh, The church did not invent the offices of leadership. They are given by God himself. They are patterned after and extensions of the ministry of Jesus Christ, our great prophet, priest, and king. And that means that we are not free to turn these offices into anything we want. They are created by and shaped by God in his word. A minister is called to faithfully preach God's word, to call sinners to repentance, to strengthen God's children in their faith, and to call them to greater obedience, fidelity in Christ. The scriptures also call a minister a shepherd, because it is a calling of nurture and protection. A shepherd is called to guard God's people against dangers, whether they be doctrinal or moral. A shepherd is called to feed God's precious lambs, but more on that later uh, we'll be talking about in a few minutes. But today we are here to witness an ordination, and an installation of Brian Ginto as a minister in Christ's church. There are many here to share this day and to participate in this service, but the most important participant today is Christ himself. Brian, Jesus is marking you out as a servant in his church. And yes, he will hold you accountable. But his desire for you is for you to succeed. 
and he will strengthen you and he will give you the wisdom you need. What he calls you to do is to humbly depend upon him and to rest upon him for all that you need. That's why we're here today, is to set Brian aside to this wonderful office, this noble calling. And so um, at this point, we're going to hear a sermon. uh, And before we do, we're going to hear Larry Nolan come up and read God's word for us. The scripture reading this evening will be from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. That's Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, And lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that was, had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, as we have heard your word read just now, we pray that you will um, open our minds and our hearts to hear um, what the gospel is for us tonight as it's proclaimed. We pray that you will bless the preaching and uh, apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Good evening. Sounds like I got it clipped high enough. That's good. Well, uh, some of you may know that this is indeed a meeting of the Presbytery of the Northwest, and so uh, my thanks to the Presbytery for hosting me as a corresponding member. Uh, thanks and welcome to this congregation, Reformation OPC, Olympia. Um, it's a real treat for me to be here. I've known Brian for, I can't remember how many years now, almost four. Uh, I was associate pastor in Columbus, Ohio, and Brian interned with us there for two years. And so a very exciting opportunity uh, to be here this evening to rejoice with Brian, with Laura, with you as a congregation. Uh, Why are we here this evening? Why are we here? Uh, now, I've come from Waco, Texas, and uh, I may accidentally at some point in this sermon say, y'all, if I say that, please know that refers to everyone in here. Uh, but why are we here this evening? Well, y'all may be thinking, I hope this guy speaking knows why we're here. Uh, I think we're here for an ordination service, but I just heard a Christmas passage read. What is going on? I've had this question asked to me a few times. Why are you preaching a Christmas sermon? Well, I'm not exactly preaching a Christmas sermon. We're not going to cover everything in this text this evening. We're mostly going to focus on what happens to these shepherds as they hear this announcement and then they go and do something. But I want us to consider this question as we work through this text. Why are we here? Yes, we are here to ordain and install Brian as associate pastor of this congregation. But more basically, why are we here? And I want us to consider the way of the gospel. And what I mean by that is... What is the path that the gospel takes? The gospel comes from somewhere and it goes to somewhere. What is that way? What is that path? That's what I want us to consider this evening. How does the gospel come to humanity? How does it come to Olympia? That's what I want us to think about this evening. Now, the first thing we see in this passage, and I'm going to begin around verse 8, we see that the gospel comes from heaven to earth. The gospel comes from heaven to earth. Uh, We see, verse 8, that it comes to these shepherds. In, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, a lot of scholars and commentators debate the significance of shepherds in that culture. No one cares about that right now. We're not going to talk about that. But what we can at least say is that shepherds are very lowly people. This is not a very fun job. This is often a dangerous job. Uh, Think of David, king in Israel, but before that, shepherd. Uh, David fought wild beasts. So this was often difficult work. Sheep are stupid and they're smelly. And so this is hard work to be a shepherd. Uh, Shepherds often would encounter blood. So shepherds were often considered unclean in Israel. This is a difficult and thankless job, an isolated life, a difficult life, a dangerous life. The shepherds are worth not much in the eyes of the world in which they live. The shepherds are lowly. And what happens to these shepherds? We see in verse 9 a translation that sort of frustrates me in the ESV. As the ESV tells us, I love the ESV, by the way, but the ESV says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Not exactly. Really what Luke tells us is that an angel of the Lord was standing near them. I don't know how you visualize this when you hear that an angel appeared. I mean, we tend to think of angels up in heaven, so maybe this angel is up in the sky. Here they are, dark field, pre-electricity, 
and suddenly an angel is standing near them. Uh, You know what this is like, just, you know, you're out around town, you're walking down the street, you turn the corner of a building and someone's there, oh, excuse me, sorry, didn't see you. You do that little dance and try to get around each other. You're startled when someone is suddenly standing near you and you didn't expect them. Now, they're really not expecting this. Standing in a dark field and suddenly standing near them is an angel of the Lord, an angel from heaven. And not only is this angel standing near them, but we are told the glory of the Lord shone around them. Again, lights can startle us when things are dark. Oh, the flash was on. I didn't realize. And we kind of blink. Oh, it's time to wake up in the morning. Someone turns on a light. Ah, don't do that. We're startled by sudden bright lights in the darkness. But this is like nothing that you have ever experienced before. There is no light in this world that is this bright. It's dark. It's shepherds. It's sheep. Even on a full moon night, it's still relatively dark. Suddenly, standing near them, an angel of the Lord, and surrounding them, surrounding the shepherds, surrounding the angel, is the glory of the Lord. This is the light of heaven itself. There is nothing in this world that can compare. God's own glory, heavenly glory, is turned on in the darkness. And wouldn't you know it, the shepherds are afraid. Well, like, duh. This is not a normal shift out in the fields. Angel right here, heavenly glory all around. Whoa, they are scared. That's usually what happens in the Bible when an angel shows up. And like usual, the angel says, fear not. Good news. There is this announcement. We're not going to spend too much time on the announcement because we're mostly focusing on the shepherds. Uh, But fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you gospel. That's what gospel is. Gospel is news. Something good has happened. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And there will be this sign, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. This is incredible news. Uh, If you've been in church too long, these words just roll right past. Savior, Christ, Lord. Yeah, yeah, we say these every week. I get it. If you are new to the church, what do these words even mean? Savior, salvation, yes. But this comes in a context, you see, in a context of Caesar Augustus demanding a census. When Caesar was to be the Savior of the world, so he thought. This baby is Savior. This baby is Christ. He is the the anointed one. He is the anointed king. He is the king from the line of David that the people have been waiting for. While Caesar thinks he's king. But no, this baby is the anointed king. This baby is Christ, the Lord. No, no, Caesar is Lord, right? That's what Caesar called himself. He called himself Lord. But no, The angel says, this baby is Lord. And there are already amazing hints already that you don't get to see, that that if you go back and read Luke earlier in his gospel, that Lord already is understood to mean 
Yahweh himself. The covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's this baby. Now, I'm guessing the shepherds don't really get all that. But you can. That's what the angel is saying. And then, as if this isn't startling enough, ah, angel, ah, heavenly glory, oh, crazy announcement. Suddenly, verses 13 and 14, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I know what you're thinking. Fat babies, clouds, harps, lovely little choir. No. A multitude of the heavenly host, that is the heavenly army, arrayed for battle. I mean, this dude right here was scary enough. Yeah, you've got the armies of heaven lined up and announcing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This announcement comes to shepherds. The gospel, the good news, comes to those who are lowly. To those who are of no account. To those who are humble. And it's been a few years, but it's no different today. The gospel comes to those who are humble. The gospel comes to those who who know that they are not king, who know that they are not Lord, who know that they are not Savior, to those who know themselves to be weak, to be humble, to be lowly. This is the otherworldliness of the gospel. The gospel comes from heaven. The gospel comes with the authority of God and with his glory and with his brightness from his messenger. The gospel is, first of all, about God. God's messenger comes and says, God has come. God has come to bring peace on earth. God has come to display his glory. So the gospel, the way of the gospel, begins as a movement from heaven to earth. The way of the gospel, first of all, is from heaven to earth. But that's not all. Once it comes from heaven to earth in this passage, the gospel now begins to move in the hearts and even the bodies of the shepherds. The gospel moves in the shepherds' hearts. Look what the shepherds say, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go and see say the shepherds. Let's go and see what? Well, thankfully, the shepherds tell us what. Let's go and see this thing that has happened. Not, let's go and see whether it happened. But let's go and see this thing that has happened. Again, you don't get the benefit of having me heard preach lots of sermons through Luke, but Luke is drawing a contrast here and a comparison. The shepherds here exhibit faith, unlike Zechariah. Unlike Zechariah, the priest and the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah is serving in the temple, 
And he's been praying for years and years and years for a son. And the angel Gabriel appears in the temple while Zechariah is serving. He appears to him from heaven and he says, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah says, okay, well, what can you give me as a sign to show me that this is really going to happen? And Gabriel's like, uh, I'm an angel and I came from heaven and I told it to you. I thought that might be enough. No, but it's not. So Zechariah himself becomes the sign. You won't speak again until that baby is born. So the shepherds in this way are unlike Zechariah, but they are like Mary. When it is announced to Mary that she will bear this child, that the Lord himself in the form of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary and this child will be created in her womb. She says, how's that going to work? Well, you see, she believes. And she says, may it be done to me as you have said. May it be done to me according to your word. The shepherds exhibit faith as Mary has. Well, we heard that this baby has been born, and this is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Let's go and see this thing that has happened. This thing... What? This thing that the Lord has made known. Consider the significance of that. Again, this is a mark of faith. We are told that an angel announces this good news. And yet these shepherds understand this is from the Lord. Can debate with your pastors later whether that angel of the Lord is himself an embodiment of the Lord, but either way, they know that this is a message from God Himself. They recognize God as the source of the announcement that they've heard. In the voice of the angel, they hear the voice of the Lord. And so they say, Let's go. Let's hurry up. Verse 16. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They went with haste. Well, what about the sheep? We don't know. Luke doesn't really care. Who cares about sheep at this point? We got to get to Bethlehem. We got to get into town. We got to get to this manger. You see, the gospel is at work and it is moving. It has come from heaven to earth and it is moving in the hearts of these shepherds. This is going to surprise you, some of you. The shepherds did not have the Westminster Confession of Faith. And maybe they were the worst for it. I don't know. But the shepherds do exhibit precisely what the confession says about saving faith. If you're a confession nerd, you want to go read it later, chapter 14, section 2. I'm not going to read it all right now. Here's the essence of saving faith. Sorry, not the essence. That's a different part. Anyway, here's what saving faith does. Saving faith believes God's word, and it acts differently because of it. That's what saving faith always does. It believes God's word and it acts differently. The shepherds believe the message of the Lord and they do something about it. It is at work in their hearts. Saving faith is, you see, it is faith-seeking understanding. How could a baby born in Bethlehem of all places be the Savior, Christ the Lord? 
I don't know, we better go see. They believe in order to understand. They believe and then they seek God where he may be found. And they do it with haste. You see, they do that with their bodies. The gospel is at work and it is moving in their bodies now. The good news has moved in their hearts and it now moves their bodies into Bethlehem with haste. So that now we see the gospel moving through the mouths of the shepherds and the hearts of those who hear. You see, the shepherds come, we hear in verse 17, when they saw it, when they saw the baby lying in the manger, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. When they saw the sign, here's the sign, baby in a manger. When they see the sign, aha, yes, we've seen the thing that the Lord has done. We've seen this thing that has happened. Now they make known the saying about the child. This is not just for themselves any longer, you see. There's no mention in the message of the angels. When you get there, talk about it. When you get there, tell everybody about what we just told you. No, the the angels don't say anything about that. They just say, baby's born, Savior, Christ, Lord, sign, baby in a manger. Go check it out. And when they get there, they don't just say, wow, cool. Totally right. That angel was really sharp. No. They make known the saying that they heard and realize, realize the faith that it takes to make that known. We've been reading Luke. We know what's been happening in Luke. We know that Gabriel has come from heaven and spoken to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. This baby in your womb will be the son of the Most High. We know about Zechariah. We know about Elizabeth and Mary speaking. We know about Elizabeth saying, How could this be that the mother of my Lord would come to me? We know about John the Baptist leaping in the womb of Elizabeth. When this baby in the womb hears the voice of Mary, he leaps for joy. The shepherds know none of that. Here's some people and a baby. Uh, Mom, dad, how do I say this? This baby is the Savior, Christ the Lord? Just heard that from an angel from heaven? How must that sound in their heads as they're getting ready to say it? These people are going to think we're crazy. I just saw, you know, try this with Brian and Laura. Here's this nice, beautiful young baby. Hey, guys, angel from heaven visited me. Your baby is the Savior, Christ the Lord. You'd feel insane saying that to someone. The shepherds have faith. It doesn't matter. They've heard the voice of God from heaven. They've seen that what was announced was true. Hey, mom and dad, you're probably going to want to know this. This is incredible. An angel came to us, told us to come here. Your baby is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Peace on earth. It's remarkable. We already heard, thanks for saying that already this evening, Brett, 
we've heard that God's sharpest judgments are reserved for the leaders of his people who don't lead well, the leaders of his people who abuse his people. Some of the sharpest critiques of the leaders of God's people are framed in terms of them being shepherds. Let me read just one for you. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 3. The Lord says this, My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah. There are a bunch more verses like that in the Old Testament, calling judgment and condemnation upon the wicked shepherds of Israel. No wonder God calls shepherds to announce the good news of his son. He said he would provide shepherds for his people, true shepherds. In fact, these shepherds, having come from the fields, having heard this good news from heaven and announcing it now to Mary and Joseph, they are already a foreshadowing of what this baby will be. He is not just Savior. He is not just Christ. He is not just Lord. He is the good shepherd. These poor, lowly, humble men from out in the fields already become a sign of what this baby will be. In their own bodies, with their own mouths, they are a prophecy of this good shepherd. not just a prophecy of the good shepherd. But they also foreshadow for us the very thing that we've heard already this evening, the very thing that Paul says Christ gives to his church. Not just apostles, not just prophets, not just evangelists, but shepherds. Paul says God gives shepherds to his church. No wonder he called shepherds to hear this announcement of heavenly good news. And so these shepherds make known with their mouths the path of the gospel, the way of the gospel continues through the mouths of the shepherds, and it comes into the hearts of those who hear. Now, it's really interesting, verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And we're probably thinking, well, yeah, that makes sense. Seemed kind of weird. Seemed kind of crazy. I would probably wonder about that too. But this is not really a good response. Luke has used this word a few times already. Luke chapter 1, verse 21, Zechariah in the temple, he's receiving this vision from heaven from this angel. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Oh, what's going on in there? This is kind of weird. Luke uses this word again, chapter 1, verse 63. Again, they're asking about this baby that's to be born. They're asking Zechariah, what's this baby's name going to be? Your crazy wife said he's going to be called John. What's that about? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. Wondering is kind of like, huh, what's that about? Huh, what's going on? This is kind of an ambiguous response. So there are people there. It seems that there are other people in there besides Mary and Joseph. And they're just thinking, huh, well, I don't know. That was kind of interesting. 
not every day that you're hanging out around a manger with a baby in it and shepherds appear out of a field saying it's Christ the Lord. Oh, it's kind of weird. But Mary, by contrast, I think gives us the picture of faith. Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She takes it into her heart. What they say, she takes it into her heart as treasure. What do you do with the things that you value? You hold them close. You protect them. You make sure they aren't taken away from you. Mary treasures this saying. She ponders it in her heart. What could this mean? How does it fit with all of these other things that have been going on recently? How does it fit with this announcement from the angel? How does it fit with this overshadowing of the Holy Spirit? How does it fit with Elizabeth saying, oh, it's the mother of my Lord? How does it fit with John the Baptist leaping in her womb? How do all these things fit together? She is continuing, as she has been doing in Luke's gospel, she is reading her experience through what she hears from the Lord. How do I make sense of my experience in light of what God has said and what he is doing in my life? That's what Mary is doing as she treasures this announcement and ponders it in her heart. The gospel is on the move. It has come from heaven to earth. It has moved in the hearts of the shepherds. It has moved in the bodies of the shepherds. It has moved from the mouths of the shepherds into the hearts of the people who hear. So listen. Christ, the good shepherd, speaks to you in his word. Listen to him. Pastor Brett has been doing it many years, and now you'll say the same thing after tonight. Pastor Brian. Pastor Brian is an under-shepherd. An under-shepherd of the Good Shepherd. Pastor Brian speaks the gospel to you. The gospel has come from heaven to earth, and it has worked in the heart of Pastor Brian. Perhaps deader than most in his sins and transgressions. Out of nowhere, the gospel makes him alive. And the gospel moves not only in Pastor Brian's heart, but it has moved his body. From Chicago to Escondido, to Chicago, to Escondido, to Olympia, to Escondido, to two rather long and difficult years in Columbus that I was there for. Those were hard years. It would have been easy to give up. But the gospel kept moving, and it moved him back to Olympia. For a very easy life here. Brian's just been chilling. He's well-rested. Work is easy. No. Just think about what Brian does every week. And if you don't exactly know, ask him for the details. And think that he puts his body through this because the gospel has moved his heart, because he loves Christ, because he loves you. And so the gospel moves through his body, from his mouth to your hearts. Now, please, I implore you, When Pastor Brian speaks, do not sit there and think, oh, that was interesting. 
I don't really know what to make of it. Please, don't just wonder at it. Hear what Pastor Brian's mouth says to you from God and treasure it in your heart and ponder it and begin to read your own experience through that truth that he preaches to you and be changed. But we're not done yet. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They go back, glorifying and praising. They go back to normal life. Back to the fields. Back to those sheep that maybe are still around. Who knows? Kind of ran away from them in a hurry. Back to normal life. But everything has changed. Back to normal life, but glorifying and praising God, joining this chorus that Luke has been showing us, the chorus of John, the chorus of Elizabeth, the chorus of Mary, the chorus of Zechariah. People can't stop singing and shouting and jumping in the gospel of Luke. But I assure you, they were still Presbyterian. Joining the chorus, even the angels have been part of this chorus. And the shepherds join that chorus, glorifying and praising God. Because they have heard and seen amazing things that God has done, according to his word. Everything has changed. Back to normal life, but everything has changed. How do you go back to those same fields, the same We make grace too abstract. We make gospel too abstract. Oh, it's just this thing floating out there. It's just words or something like that. When they go back to those fields, you know they know. Three months later, six months later, 20 years later, that's the spot. That's where the angel stood. That's where the gospel came from heaven to earth. Now I ask you, How can you come in this room more than once and not think, here's the spot. This is where we heard God. This is where that one sermon, everything changed for me. And then as you hear these words, as you treasure them, as you ponder them in your heart, as you begin to read your experience through them, you're going to go home. You're going to go to work. You're going to be with extended family. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to go all sorts of places. And the gospel will keep changing you in those places. And how can those places ever be the same again? The gospel changes everything. And that's why it's so remarkable. You see that it's all for God. It's all for his glory. This praise is the movement of the gospel from earth back to heaven. That's what this gospel is all about anyway. Glory to God in the highest. He changes you so that you can glorify and praise him. And brothers and sisters, the gospel that you have heard is so much richer and fuller than the gospel that these shepherds heard. They heard baby, Savior, Christ, Lord. You have heard more than his birth. You have heard of his life. 
You have heard of his death. You have heard of his resurrection. You have heard of his ascension. You have heard of his pouring out of the spirit. You have heard it and you have tasted it at his table. And so this gospel changes you, changes your heart so that your praise ascends to heaven. Not just those shepherds back then, but now the work of the gospel in your heart is doxology. The way of the gospel, the direction of the gospel, the path that the gospel takes is from heaven to earth. Is moving in the hearts of those who hear that announcement. Moving through their bodies as they go to tell this good news. Moving through their mouths as they speak that good news. Moving in the hearts of God's people as he calls all of his people to himself through this word. And then moving back to heaven as they praise him. As you praise him. This is the way of the gospel. Your words, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength directed to heaven in praise to God. The gospel has come down from heaven. And it has come all the way to Olympia, Washington. I mean, I thought this was a long trip from Waco. The gospel has come from heaven to this place. So shepherds of this congregation make this good news known. Congregation, listen to your shepherds that by faith in God's word, your praise may ascend to heaven. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on uh, uh, the time and the energy that Brian has put into finding himself at this point in his life, uh, we would want to remind him of uh, warnings from your word and also promises um, as he seeks to be the shepherd that you would have him to be. Uh, the warning that unless you build, that we labor in vain. And yet, Father, at the same time, while it's a warning, it's also a promise that you will build. May that always guide Brian (laughs) through the years ahead of him. And we'd also uh, remind him that in this time of preparation and looking forward to what lies ahead, that the wonderful promise that you work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. May he always surround himself with these promises from your word, in Christ's name and for his glory. Ordination is one of those things in life that is marked out by vows. Uh, We do this in marriage. We commit ourselves to the relationship we're entering into. 
we expect to be held accountable to it. And the same is true when uh, a man enters ministry and when uh, a church receives a minister. And so I have about eight vows for Brian, and then there will be some for the congregation afterwards. But first, Brian, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Do you approve of the government, discipline, and worship of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church? And do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Have you been induced, as far as you know, your heart to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his Son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity, the peace, and the unity of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account? And do you promise to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of of all private and personal duties which become you as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, as well as in all the duties of your office, endeavoring to adorn the profession of the gospel by your life and walking with exemplary piety before the flock over which God shall make you overseer. And are you now willing to take the charge of this congregation in agreement with your declaration when you accepted their call and you promise to discharge the duties of a pastor to them as God shall give you strength. Now this is for the congregation of Reformation. I'd like you to stand and to raise your right hand as you receive your new pastor. Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Brian Ginto, whom you have called to be your minister? If so, say, I do. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you promise to encourage him in his arduous labor and to assist, assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? And do you promise to continue to him, do you promise to continue to him while he is your pastor? that worldly maintenance which you have promised and whatever else you may see needful for the honor of religion and his comfort among you. You may be seated. Now, I'm really briefly going to explain what we're about to do. I'm about to call up uh, the ruling elders and the ministers, including the ministers from our sister denominations who are with us. Uh, there's a gentleman who's going to be praying in a few minutes whom you might not recognize that's Brian's father-in-law, who is a minister in the RPCNA. We have two ministers here from the PCA, uh, Adam Phillips and Tim Fari. Uh, Jason, uh, who just preached, is from our denomination, but a different presbytery. Uh, and then we have a few ministers from our presbytery here, John Mahaffey and Mark Collinridge. And we're all going to come up and lay hands on Brian. <laughs> That might seem odd at first. 
But in the Bible, the laying on of hands is is signifying the transfer of something. They did it with sacrificial animals before they put them to death. <laughs> Conveying their sin onto that animal as if so that animal could bear their sin on the altar. They did it with officers in Israel, and we do it with officers in the church because on, upon them is being conveyed an office and a calling. Brian is being charged and installed, and an office from heaven is being conveyed and put upon him. That's why we're putting our hands upon him. And so we who serve as uh, ruling elders and ministers in Christ Church, I'd like to invite you up here, and Mark Collinridge will pray the prayer of ordination. So come on up. Blessed Lord Jesus, you are the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and King over all the nations. You have given your life for your people. You have ascended on high to rule and to reign, and from heaven you bless us, you lead us, you provide for us, you speak to us. We rejoice together in the many ways that you care for us. We thank you for Brian and for his precious family. We thank you for all you have led him through to bring him to this point for the love, for the care, for the trials, the triumphs, the accomplishments, and the defeats. We thank you for his family, for his friends, for his mentors, and all who have invested in his life and ministry. And above all, we thank you for the gifts and the calling that you have given to him. Gracious Father, we ask now for your abundant mercy to be upon him. Guard his heart and his mind from the sins that so easily intrude into the gospel ministry. Keep him from pride and haughtiness. May his heart and life be humbled and broken before you. Keep him from rebellion and grant him a heart that lives in willing submission to the brothers that he labors alongside of. Father, we know the pains and the hurts and the wounds of ministry. Keep his heart from growing hard and calloused. Rather, may his heart be filled with grace, patience, kindness, and a readiness and willingness to forgive. Lord, have mercy upon him and keep him from self-reliance. Grant that he would ever grow in trusting you, in walking in your ways, and confident in your working. Lord, we ask that you would deepen and mature Brian's relationship with Reformation Church. May there be mutual respect and faithfulness, honor, and love. May Brian faithfully discharge the duties and the callings of a pastor, and may the saints here receive, care, and provide for him and for his family. Lord, we pray these things knowing that they are agreeable to your will and to your purpose. Build up and edify your church, and bring honor and glory to your holy name. Hear us now as we pray 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who together with you and the Holy Spirit is one God forever and ever. Amen. Brian, stay up here for just a minute. Brian Ginto, by the authority of Christ and his church, I hereby declare you an ordained minister of the word of God, an associate pastor of Reformation Presbyterian Church. You have been extended by these men, the right hand of fellowship. May God equip you with everything good that you may fulfill your calling. as the old commercials say, but wait, there's more. (laughs) Briefly, uh, we're going to have time for two charges, exhortations. One specifically directed uh, to Brian as he takes on this office, and then one to you, the congregation, uh, by by Adam Phillips. Um, Let me just, you're free to turn there, but you might just want to listen. I'm going to bring some words from John chapter 21. Brian is offered me the privilege of of bringing the exhortation to him this evening. And um, I'm honored. It's a privilege. It's a familiar passage. It's after the resurrection. Um, Peter has denied Christ and has heard that Christ has risen. He is dejected. He is in sorrow and turmoil because he has denied his Lord. And his Lord meets him there by the side of the sea. And over breakfast, they have this conversation, or after breakfast. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted, but when you, are, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. 
And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among many of the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain, what is that to you? So ends the reading of God's word. Pastor Brian, one day before too long, Ames is going to come and ask you if you love him. The first thing you need to do is get your hand on your wallet. (laughs) This is something children do. When they're young, it's preparing the way to ask for a favor. Daddy, do you love me? Can we go get some ice cream? Daddy, do you love me? Can we go to the lake? Daddy, do you love me? Can I have a friend spend the night? When they get older, the favors get bigger. Daddy, do you love me? Can I borrow the car? Daddy, do you love me? Can I go to a concert in Seattle? For the children, that question will typically always precede something that you can do for them. And sometimes children will turn those words into a weapon. If you love me, you let me do. And then they will fill in the blank with something no loving parent would ever let their child do. Or they'll say, if you love me, you want me to be happy, as if the desire for their happiness is more important than what is good and pleasing to the Lord. In other words, and this is true not just for children, but for all of us, sometimes those words, do you love me, come from a selfish heart. They're based on a misguided view of love and often ask things of others that they would not be willing to do for others but not for Jesus. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? None of those things were true. Notice what Jesus does not tell Peter, what he can do for him, but what he can do for the sheep and even the young sheep, the lambs. Peter, you can feed them. You can care for them. You can nurture them. You can protect them. You see, Jesus' words were not selfish. What he asked of Peter was directed towards others. Nor was his understanding of love misguided. Jesus is the author of love. He is the embodiment of love. He knows what love is. And yet we know that. We know that his instructions to Peter come from a heart filled with love. This, what we see in our passage before us, is what love looks like. Care, nurture, truth, and self-sacrifice. And, perhaps most importantly, Jesus was not asking Peter to do something that he himself was not willing to do. 
Before he ever asked Peter to shepherd the sheep, Jesus showed himself to be a good and loving shepherd by laying down his life for his sheep. Throughout his entire earthly ministry, he boldly proclaimed the truth. He selflessly cared for others, even when it cost him dearly. Jesus was not asking Peter to do anything he had not first done himself. And so, Pastor Brian, I have three exhortations for you today from this passage as you begin your ministry in Christ church. And the first is this. You must serve the church out of a love for Jesus. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, if he loved Jesus. And that's where it all must start. You must love Jesus. You cannot be an effective shepherd if you do not love Jesus, if you are not motivated by a love for Jesus, if you are not driven out of that love. So, Pastor Brian, you must love Jesus. The second exhortation is this. Out of a love for Jesus, you must serve the church. Mike Horton has well said, Jesus doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does. One of the chief ways you show your love for Jesus is by serving his people. You cannot truly love Jesus and not serve those he loves. Jesus' charge to Peter was to love, feed, and serve his people. And that is his charge to you today. You need to pour your life into this congregation. They are your flock. They are your charge. More importantly, they are loved by Jesus. Treat them accordingly. Because he is watching. And the final exhortation, Brian, is this. Don't compare yourself to other pastors. There's always that temptation to look at other ministers and say, I want to be like him and model my ministry after his. Or to look and say, why do I have to endure such and such when that guy over there doesn't? Jesus has a plan for you and your ministry that is totally unique. While all ministers are called to the same thing, serving the church out of a love for Jesus, while all ministers are called to follow the pattern set by Jesus of cross-bearing, sacrificial love and service, it is equally true that every road Jesus calls ministers to is unique and individual. Jesus told Peter that his ministry would eventually cost him his life. And Peter's first inclination was to look around, find the Apostle John and say, what about him? Will ministry cost him his life too? And Jesus' response was, what is it to you if I decide that he should remain until I return? You will be tempted to measure your ministry by the ministry of others. Their eloquence, their popularity, their income, their comfort, how their trials differ from yours. And when you do, Jesus' words to Peter are for you. What is it to you? So, Pastor Brian, 
Do you love Jesus? If you do, you must serve the church out of that love. And out of that love, you must serve the church. And you must not compare yourself to other pastors. And you can do all of this knowing that Jesus loves you. That Jesus has called you to this work. And that he will give you what you need to do that to which he is calling you. Amen. I can read, I promise. <laughs> this is about the time in an ordination service where I'm ready to go eat cake. So you guys might have some pastor fatigue, so I'll try and keep this short. Um, my job tonight is to help you uh, think about the vow we, you just took about 15 minutes ago before God and in front of Brian to, to support him in his ministry. And I want to just reflect a little bit on a passage in Romans chapter 15. Uh, from the Apostle Paul. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, he's writing to uh, the churches in Rome, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayer to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Uh, tonight is an exciting night for Reformation OPC Church. Uh, Brian's been doing ministry here for some time now, and tonight he has become officially one of your pastors. As Brian, uh, Brett was just saying, uh, there was a transfer uh, where God pours his spirit out on Brian in, in a unique way to do ministry. And if you look at Brian, he's actually glowing. <laughs> Sanctification has exponentially grown. His sermons are going to be just shy of divinely inspired. I'm kidding, of course. But the honest truth is, more pastoral gifts, more hands to do ministry means more ministry here for the kingdom of Jesus in your midst. And that is something to be really excited about. And tonight, God has set Brian apart for the gospel ministry, and he's planted Brian not just anywhere, but uniquely here in Olympia, here at Reformation, in this local community, to tether his heart to you and to be a servant of Christ in your midst and to plant deep roots in this community for the sake of the kingdom. But Paul helps us see that there's also another dimension going on tonight outside of just God setting Brian apart, and it's your ministry to Brian, your ministry to Laura and to Ames. Now, Paul, in this passage, I think, views his ministry in a symbiotic relationship with the believers that he's writing to, that he is, in some sense, dependent upon these believers in Rome uh, for his ministry to be effective at all. And so he's, he's writing to them and asking them to support him, especially in the ministry of prayer. Now, obviously, Paul is a firm believer in God's grace. He's a firm believer that the Spirit is the one who empowers his ministers. I think he probably writes about that in some place. Um, he believes in that, but Paul's also a firm believer that God works through means. So God is going to work through Pastor Brian for your sake, and God works through Paul for the church's sake, but God also works through the church and his people for his minister's sake and for Paul's sake 
Jerusalem was a difficult ministry context for Paul. It was dangerous because Paul brought a message that um, sort of pushed against the status quo, and so he goes in there knowing it's a dangerous business, and he asks the church in Rome to pray for him, or to pray that he can get out of there alive. And so he, he asks them, would you pray for me? Now, Paul, like any pastor, wants his ministry to be effective. He wants the, the service he brings to Rome to, to be received, and so he asks the church to, to pray for him in Jerusalem. Now, Paul... Paul wants joy in his ministry. He wants them to pray that he can find joy and that he can come back to Rome and be refreshed and renewed and to find rest with these Christians in Rome. So protection, effectiveness, joy, refreshment, these are, these are things on Paul's heart as apostle and as pastor. These are things that Paul is thinking about, things that Paul is praying about, things that are uh, on Paul's heart and his mind. And he is asking in verse 30 that we just read, uh, for the church in Rome to pray for him, to take his needs, the things that are on his heart, and to offer them up to the Lord on his behalf. I think there are times we get the wrong impression, the wrong idea about pastors. We think that pastors are spiritual superheroes. Right? Pastors are praying all the time, and pastors are in God's word all the time, and so they must be uh, better than everyone else. They must be these spiritual superheroes. There's no way that a pastor ever struggles with discouragement and disappointment. There's no possible way that pastors struggle with doubts. Surely pastors never struggle with with sin. They never question their calling or their gifting. Surely pastors never view their ministry as an insurmountable task that they're not even sure at times they're even able to do. If I can be honest with you, Brian will travel through all of those valleys in ministry. Because every pastor does. And you know what? That's actually a good thing. Because you want a pastor who ministers to you from a place of human weakness, a place that is like your own weakness. So that when Brian is pointing you to the place of living waters, it's a place that he's going to every day and a place that he's drawing from and drinking from on a daily basis. But it means that Brian and Laura and Amos, but especially Brian, is going to need your ministry of prayer your ministry of support. And, and my invitation to you this evening is to find a way to let Brian occupy your heart in a way that you will occupy a place in his heart as one of your pastors. Uh, to support the Gentos. To support them so that they can eat and live and flourish here. Uh, to love them and show them hospitality. To invite them into your homes and to love on them. But pray for them. A significant part of your ministry to Brian and to his wife and his children is going to be to pray for them. Brian will need your prayer when his ministry is going swimmingly and when ministering is bearing, ministry is bearing down on him. Brian's going to need your prayer when he's doing everything just the way you like it and when he's not doing things just the way you like it. Brian is going to need your prayer Uh, for protection. Brian's going to need your prayer that God would use his ministry effectively here in your lives, in the life of his family and Brian's own life. Brian's going to need your prayer for joy in the ministry. Brian's going to need your prayer that he can find refreshment in the ministry and renewal. As one of Brian's friends uh, and as a fellow pastor, I obviously want these things for Brian. I want him to have the, all these things that, Brian, or that Paul is, is asking for 
from the church in Rome. But I'm not here to point you to what I want for Brian or what all these other pastors want for Brian and the elders want for Brian. I'm here to point you to verse 30 and the kind of ministry that Paul says the Lord Jesus Christ wants for Brian from you. And what the Holy Spirit who dwells in all of his people empowers his people to do for his ministers. The truth is, Brian cannot do ministry in a vacuum. I mean, he can, but he can't do an effective ministry in your midst, in a vacuum, in an isolation. Brian is going to need your love and support, and he's going to need your prayer from today for the rest of his time here. And Brian's ministry in your midst will depend upon your prayer and upon your love and your support. So earlier you raised your hand and you said, I do to all the the vows that Pastor Brett read off. And as you took those vows, you're vowing to love and support Brian and Laura and Amos and to pray for him and to, to, to pledge your love for him and your support for him as he ministers to you. Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer before the Lord. Father, we give you all the glory, and uh, we thank you for showing us just something of your glory in all that have transpired here tonight. We thank you for giving us the chance to see and be a part of what you are doing in Brian's life and will continue to do. We thank you that uh, you have called him to your, to your ministry, to the gospel, to follow the way of the gospel, but also to help others to do so. And we do pray that you would Give him the strength, the vision, the desire. And even when those seem to fail, that you will work in his heart that he might continue to bring glory to your name in strength or weakness, in times of good things, good times, in times of joy and rejoicing, and in times of sorrow in the mountaintops and in the valleys. Be with him and be with his family. We pray for Laura and for Amos and any other children you may choose to give them that as he ministers for you among your people, that you will help them, that you would be a support to them when he is unable to be, but that also you would work in his heart that he would be able to be a good minister and a good father because those two must go together. But we also want to praise you and pray that you would help us to see 
this not just as something great. We rejoice with Brian and the wonderful things that are happening tonight. But we also want to see that it's just a part of what you are doing in furthering the gospel. That you, throughout history, have been calling a people to yourself. And through the Old Testament, you have brought Israel together, put your love on them, and when they strayed, you brought them back. And you used them to give your word to us. Ultimately, you used them to bring to us the Messiah. And he gave his life that we might be able to live, that we might be forgiven for our sins and be able and begin to live as your people, not just as individuals, though, but as those who are built together into the church. Jesus promised that he would build his church And when he ascended, he said that, or we hear that uh, all power had been given to him in heaven and earth. And that we read in Ephesians that he ascended at high, sat at the right hand of the Father, and all power was given to him for the church. You are building your church, and one way you do that is to give the church ministers, servants. And so we pray that you would help us as we rejoice in this individual situation and all that we see of it and all that, all a blessing that it is. But we also pray that you would help us to look beyond that and rejoice and what you are doing in bringing the gospel to the world through us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look up and receive the Lord's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.